0: It has been said that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Meaning, without the resurrection, there would be no Christianity. And you know, this is true. And the apostles themselves understood that. That's exactly how they felt. Listen to Paul's words to the Corinthian Christians on this very subject. He said, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all people the most to be pitied. They understood that the resurrection really is the cornerstone, that the Christian faith stands or falls on whether or not Christ did actually rise. And Paul went on to say, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So as we're here today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, I want to just point out to us the relevance of the resurrection and really what the message of the resurrection is for us today. And there are several things. I want to uh, just look at five things here today. And the first is this. The resurrection tells us that God's Word, the Bible, is true. You see, because God had declared in His Word, in the Bible, He had declared that He would destroy death. That was His promise, and that's exactly what He did. Listen to a few of the promises from the 25th chapter of Isaiah's prophecy. We read this, in Jerusalem... The Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. Listen, he will swallow death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. And then the prophet Hosea in the 13th chapter, God speaking through that prophet said, This I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plague. O grave, I will be your destruction. So, you see, God had spoken about this very moment that we're talking about. He had spoken about this time. And then as, as the prophecies became clearer, he specified that it would be through uh, his son. It would be through the Messiah that he would gain the victory over death. And in the 16th Psalm, we read this. this is, these are the words of Jesus. These are the words of the Messiah prophetically. My flesh shall rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo corruption or decay. So way back in the Psalms, through the the prophetic word, there was that that promise that was given that the body of the Lord would not uh, be allowed to undergo any corruption. That before that corruption could set in he would burst forth from the grave he would burst forth from death and then jesus he essentially said the same thing and in the passage that we just read here in luke 24 remember that the angel reminded the women of what jesus had said to them and let me read it to you from jesus himself jesus said the son of man will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day, he will rise again. So you see, the resurrection tells us that the Bible is true, what the Bible declared is true. We can count on every word of Scripture, the, the truth of the Scripture. Secondly, the resurrection proves that the claims of Jesus are true. You know, Jesus claimed things that no other person ever claimed. To this very day, no one has dared to make the kinds of claims that Jesus made. And he actually said, when he was challenged on one occasion, as to uh, you know, where did he get his authority? Maybe you remember uh, Jesus had just prior to the time of his uh, betrayal and, and his death by crucifixion and all of that, just that, that week earlier, he had come into Jerusalem. And we, we call that the triumphal entry. And he came into Jerusalem on the uh, sitting on the donkey, and it was a fulfillment of, of the prophecy of Zechariah that the king, uh, behold, your king is coming to you meek and humble. He is lowly. He is sitting upon the uh, a donkey's colt. And you remember when he came into the city, he went into the temple, which was uh, the place of worship, which was God's house, and he found in that temple. Um, the money changers. And he found those who were taking financial advantage of the people. And so he drove them out. You remember he made a, a, a whip of cords and he threw over the, the tables of the money changers and he drove these out who were uh, basically ripping off the people of God. And so the leaders came to him and they said, by what authority do you do this? Who who gave you the authority to come in here and do this sort of thing? And Jesus said this. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again. And John reminds us or or gives us the insight. He was speaking not of the, the actual building there. He was speaking of his body. So you see, Jesus said that his authority, his claims, would be substantiated through the resurrection. And so when we think about the amazing claims that Jesus made, how do we know that they're true? We know that they're true because of the resurrection. Think about just a few of them for a quick second with me. Jesus claimed to be the bread of life. He claimed to be the one who would bring satisfaction and and sustenance to every single person. Jesus claimed to be the light of the world. And he said, he who follows me will not uh, walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He claimed to be the light of the world. He claimed to be the good shepherd, the one who would love the sheep, the one who would Uh, take care of the sheep, the one who would ultimately give his life for the sheep. Jesus claimed to be the resurrection and the life. You see, nobody's ever made these kinds of claims. He claimed to be the resurrection and the life. And then one more quick one. He claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus claimed to be the way, the only way that someone could come to God. He claimed to be the truth, that all truth, ultimate truth, is embodied in him. And he claimed also to be the life, meaning that all life originates with him. You see, these are astounding claims. No one's made claims like this. But if anyone did, we would just write them off as some sort of a nut, but we don't do that with Jesus, do we? Why? Because of the resurrection. The resurrection proves the claims of Christ are true. Thirdly, the resurrection tells us the penalty for sin has been paid and we can be forgiven. Now, Jesus said... that he would give his life a ransom for sin. But think about this. Had he stayed in the grave, we could have no assurance that his payment was accepted. See, Jesus made that claim that he was going to, to give his life. He made the claim that he would die for the sins of the world to make atonement to provide forgiveness. But think about it. Had he stayed dead, would we have any assurance whatsoever that the payment was accepted? We would have no way of knowing. It's through the resurrection that we know that the penalty for sin has been paid and that we can be forgiven. Timothy Keller in his book, Jesus the King, he wrote this. He said, After a criminal does his time in jail and fully satisfies the sentence, the law has no more claim on him and he walks out free. Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sins. That was an infinite sentence, but he must have satisfied it fully because on that first Easter Sunday, he walked out of the grave free. The resurrection was God's way of stamping, paid in full, right across history, so that nobody could miss it. You see, that's it. You know, if you wanted to communicate, I've often thought about this. Um, You know, so put yourself just for a second in the in the place of God, and you want everybody in the world to know that there's one person that you have designated to be the leader. There's one person that you've designated to be the Savior. And uh, how can you let people know who that person is? What, what mark could you put on them to identify them? And you know, think about it. What, what a brilliant idea to raise them from the dead because nobody else has ever been raised from the dead. And so Jesus stands out Because of his resurrection. And we know that the penalty has been paid, and we know that our sins can now be forgiven. And the resurrection tells us that our guilt and our shame and the eternal consequences of our sins have all been washed away. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Our guilt has been taken away. And not only our guilt, you know, you can, you can be alleviated, your, your guilt can be alleviated, but you can still go through life bearing shame. But you know, the forgiveness of God even deals with our shame. It takes away our shame. And it delivers us from the consequences, the eternal consequences of our sin. And so the resurrection tells us that the penalty for our sin has been paid and we can be forgiven. Fourthly, the resurrection shows us that Jesus is the ultimate authority on death and hell. You see, Jesus is uniquely qualified. He is the uniquely qualified authority on the afterlife. How much uh, talk do we have in our culture? about the afterlife. How many uh, programs come on to uh, the television? Or how many films have been made? Or how many books have been written? Where there's all of this speculation about the afterlife. But you know, that's exactly what it is, right? It's speculation. Nobody really knows. It's just guessing. Well, it might be this, and it could be that, and you know, it probably is something like this. But nobody can speak with authority because, of course, nobody's been there and back again with one exception. That's why Jesus is the uniquely qualified authority on the afterlife, because he alone has been dead and come back to life. Listen to what He said to John, his disciple, he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. I love that. I am he who is alive and was dead. How many people in history can say that? And he was really dead. It wasn't just he went unconscious for a brief period of time and then was resuscitated. No, Jesus was dead. He was in a tomb and he was there for three days. But he came back. And so the resurrection shows us that he is the authority on death and hell. If we want to know about death, We need to listen to what Jesus said. If we want to know about the afterlife, we need to listen to what Jesus said. Everybody else is just speculating. Everybody else is guessing. Jesus alone is the one who speaks with authority. And notice what he said there to John. He said, I am he who lives and was dead. I am alive forevermore. Then he says, amen. Jesus says, amen. Like, hey, this is the truth. And then he says, I have the keys of hell and of death. And you know, keys in the Bible are symbolic of authority. Jesus is saying that he is the one who has authority over hell and death. He has authority over it because he conquered it. He controls all of that. And that's what the resurrection tells us. That there's one who has authority over that. You know, there's one thing in life that you cannot control. There's one thing in life that I cannot control, and that's death. Now, some people try to control it, some people try to beat it, so to speak. You know, there have been people that have taken their own life because they didn't want death to have the final word, so to speak. They thought, you know, I'm going to beat death to it. I'm not going to let death get me. I'm, I'm going to take my own life. Well, it's kind of a strange way of looking at it because in the end, death did win. But let's just say for argument's sake, okay, yeah, maybe you beat it. It didn't take you. You kind of, you know, you decided the time and the place and so forth. But you know what? After that, you don't decide anything. The decisions after that are not yours. Jesus has authority over all of that. He has authority over death and over hell. And then, fifthly, the resurrection of Jesus guarantees that we will rise again and live forever. It guarantees that we will rise again and live forever. Jesus said to his disciples just before going to the cross, he said, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. He's speaking of his death. The world is not going to see me again. I'm going to die. He said, but you will see me. And of course, we know as we read the historical account that Jesus didn't appear to everybody when he rose, but he did appear to a substantial number of people. Over 500 at once, Paul the Apostle tells us. But he, he appeared specifically to these people, his, his close followers. But he said, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. And then he said, because I live, you will live also. Jesus, according to Paul, is the first fruits of those who rise from The dead, the first fruits, Paul uses that term, and it, it doesn't mean exactly what it sounds like it means. There's something a little bit different to it that we need to understand. It means the first, when, it, when Paul says Jesus is the first fruits, it does mean that he is the first one of many to rise from the dead. But it means more than that. Because in uh, the Jewish annual calendar, they had a number of feasts, and there was a feast of first fruits. And on that feast day, there would be the first fruits of the harvest that were brought and waved before the Lord, and they were sanctified, and they were the guarantee, really, of the, the full harvest that would later come. So, when Paul says that Jesus is the first fruits of those who rise from the dead, what he's saying is that Jesus is the guarantee that we, all of us who believe in him, that we will rise also. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but the day that we celebrate as Easter Sunday, the day we celebrate as the resurrection day, was actually the Jewish feast of first fruits. Jesus... Those, those, those feasts that God had given to the nation of Israel, Jesus was fulfilling those feasts. You remember, he died on the Passover. He was in the grave on the day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then he rose on the Feast of first fruits because he is the first fruits of those who rise from the dead. Jesus, his resurrection is the guarantee that we will be raised. But here's the question. What does that look like? And we can't find any better description than the one given to us by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me read to you. This is what it looks like. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies... But the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown, placed in the ground in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first but the natural and afterward the spiritual The first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so so also are those who are heavenly. And listen to this. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man that's the guarantee Jesus rose from the dead and as you read the accounts of the resurrection you find it's interesting because on the one hand they knew it was Jesus but then there was something different about him to where they they weren't totally sure they, they knew it was the Lord, but then they, well, yeah, it, I know it's the Lord, but there was something different. You see, Jesus rose from the dead in a new body, a glorified body. It was, his body was sown in weakness, but it was raised in power. And so, I love what Paul says there, though, at the end. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, And that is the image that we all bear currently. We bear the image of the man of dust. We're made in the likeness of Adam. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the heavenly man. That's the promise. That we have a new body that we will receive from the Lord. Now, I defy you to find anything from any time or place in history on the afterlife that makes as much sense as this. There's nothing. You know, it's so interesting that when it comes to death, which is our greatest nemesis, when it comes to death, which is that thing that every single human being is going to face, although we as human beings in general, we have a you know opinions and speak kind of authoritatively about all kinds of things. This is the one area where they're just there's still that mystery, and understandably so. And when it comes to the afterlife, when it comes to something like a resurrection, you can search high and low, and there, there's just nothing substantial. There's nothing concrete. There's nothing out there anywhere that would give anybody a clear perspective on what the future looks like. But that's exactly what Paul does right here. He tells us about the heavenly body. There's an earthly body. You have it. You're in it. But there's a heavenly body also. And we are going to bear the image of the heavenly. And so, as we close today... This is what we need to understand about the resurrection. The resurrection is really the beginning of everything. When Jesus rose from the dead, you know what took place there? God launched the new creation. You see, God created the world, you remember, and it was very good initially, but something happened sin entered in, and death, and corruption, and all of that. And so, God sends Jesus into the world to do something so spectacular, to do something so magnificent, something that, although it it certainly, obviously, impacts us personally and individually, it's so much bigger than just us. It's something that is as big as the universe. Because the resurrection of Jesus was the launch of the new creation. And for those who put their personal faith in him, we have become a part of that glorious new thing that God is doing. That glorious new thing that God is doing that is going to culminate uh, finally and completely in the kingdom of God encompassing all that there is you know there's an interesting passage in James and it says in one translation it says that that we have been begotten again we've been born again and we are we're like specimens we're the first specimens of his new creation God is creating the whole thing all over again He's making everything new. He's, he's creating the universe over again. But here's the amazing thing. He started with people. When God created the first heavens and earth, he started with the heavens and earth and the, the, the climactic point of creation, the last thing that God created was what? Was man. Man. But as God is recreating the universe, he started with man. He started with us. And that's what it is to believe in Jesus. It is to be recreated. It is to receive right now, today, this resurrected life that gives us the power of God in dwelling us and will ultimately one day cause us to burst forth in a glorious, new, perfect, eternal habitation, a new body. The resurrection proves that the kingdom of God is real and that God will triumph. And we have the experience of that starting now. You see, this resurrected life, it starts now. And it becomes ours through personal faith in the risen Christ. And I want to say this as I close. You know, there are many people, today even, I was thinking about this yesterday, actually, as I was just kind of praying, knowing that people will gather all around the world, people have gathered, will yet gather, all around the world to remember, to think about, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But, but as I was praying, I was thinking, but you know, there, there are so many people that will gather in large groups to do that but they won't themselves personally really understand the full significance of it, or they won't themselves personally have have benefited from it. (coughs) And this would be a great tragedy to know about it to some degree and to celebrate it to some extent, but not to participate in it. You see... God wants us to participate in it, not just to know about it, not just to celebrate it. And the way we participate in this resurrection of Jesus is by receiving the risen Lord, who then gives us today, right now, that resurrected life. He gives us a new life a life that will go on and on and on. And the only thing that's going to change is that one day we're simply going to exchange these bodies that are made of dust for a glorious body that is like unto His heavenly body. And so as we close today, I just want to extend this invitation. If you're here today, and if you have not experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have not experienced his resurrect, resurrection power coming into your life and giving you that new life. Don't let another moment pass without doing that. And you can do that so simply today by just yielding yourself to him, by just saying to him, Lord Jesus, I believe that on that good Friday, you, when you died on that cross, you died there for me and for my sins. And Jesus, I believe that on that Sunday, you did rise from the dead. And I accept all that you intend for me in that. And you know, as you simply say that sincerely, that makes all the difference in the universe. It makes all the difference between time and eternity. It makes all the difference between heaven and hell. It makes all the difference between hope and hopelessness. It changes you, your life, right now, forever. Lord, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you, Lord, that you conquered the grave. And Lord, that you did this for, among other things, you did it for us. And Lord, may there not be a single one of us here today that is not personally benefiting from your victory over the grave. Lord, I know that many, and probably most, have received that benefit because they've received you. And they have now in their present possession eternal life, and they have that complete confidence that to be absent from the body someday, this body will be to be present with the Lord and that there is a glorious new body that awaits. But Lord, if there's anyone with us today, a single person that has not yet received the benefit of your resurrection by receiving Jesus as their Lord, help them today to do that. And while we're praying right now, if you're here today with us or you're listening today and you can't say with absolute certainty, yes, I've received Christ and I have that new life, that resurrected life. And I have that hope of heaven and I have that confidence my sins are forgiven and I know where I'm going. If you can't say that, then you need to Receive Christ so you can say it. And it's as simple as that. And so if that's you today and you want to do that, I want you just to repeat right there where you're seated, just in your your heart. Repeat this after me. Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I pray you would forgive my sins. I believe you rose from the dead and help me with any unbelief and give me that eternal life that I might live for you now and live with you forever. And I thank you for it. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We're going to just close here today with a song. And if you said that prayer with me today, you know, as you leave here today, there we have... Uh, prayer teams, pastoral teams, we have people up up there at the top. Stop by. Let them know that you said that prayer. Let them give you a Bible if you need one. Let them give you a little bit of encouragement on how to now enter into and experience all the good things that God has for you in this new life. So may God bless you and keep you and may give you a great day with family and friends. And may our hearts be filled with continual joy. Because he lives, we shall live also. God bless you. Let's stand and let's close with the song.